Welcome everyone to Kingdom Rock Radio. We pray that you will enjoy today's message. Now here's a sample of what you'll be hearing today. You were never meant to be under law or observe law. You were always meant to be under grace. But flesh always wants to earn good things. Always wants to earn being in a position to to make to be in a position to um, make God indebted to you. Kingdom Rock Radio is an outreach ministry of Kingdom Rock Family Worship Center located right here in Bremen, Georgia. You can connect with us at our website at www.kingdomrock.org. And now, here is today's message. Well, once, welcome once again, Kingdom Rock, all of you that are here in the building today and all of you that are joining us right now online. We welcome you today in Jesus' name. If you're at home or at work, wherever you are right now, whether you're watching us by way of Roku or uh, watching us by way of the YouTube, wherever you, however you're watching, we want you to know that you are welcome, welcome, welcome. Hallelujah. All right. Well, as you know, everybody, we've been in a series for the last few weeks by the grace of God uh, in the series entitled Get Up. Get Up. And this will be part number four in that series. And so today we're leaning on, we're relying on the presence of God to feed us today. Hallelujah. We'll be pulling from his presence, pulling from his rich presence today. So I thank you guys for being here and being a part of the service today. Hallelujah. Well, as you know, uh, this series uh, has come with a confession. So we're going to get right into it today. And uh, make sure you take good notes, copious notes, and that you're ready uh, to receive what the Father has to say. So I can tell you today, I have nothing but good news for you. In this world that is, that is riddled with horrible news, it is good to know that there is good news in the gospel of grace, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right, so let's go ahead. We're going to go ahead and do our confessions here. And it goes like this. Uh, Because of Jesus Christ, my Savior, rather, because of Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, I am forgiven, Colossians 1.14. All my sins have been washed away, 1 John 1.7. Now, of course, feel free to um, declare these words of word of God with me. Amen. And you that are at home, uh, of course, feel free. I want you to declare it with me. Hallelujah. You know, we don't need to be uh, like the, I remember the movie Nutty Professor. I think on one particular, one particular occasion, he was really binging out on M&Ms and all this stuff. And he was watching somebody doing aerobics on the television while he was just eating and eating and eating and eating. You know, he was not getting any benefit from it. Now, the man on TV was getting a lot of benefit. He was doing all the aerobics, but he wasn't getting any benefit whatsoever. So I want you to get the benefit of the word of God. So when we say declare, you declare. When we say go back home and study the word, get in that word. You do that. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I'm grateful that you're here. I'm grateful that you're watching. But remember, you have to get involved in it. You have to get involved. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So let me go ahead and just start all over again. How about that? It says, because of Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, I am forgiven. Colossians 1.14. All my sins have been washed away. 1 John 1.7. I have peace with God. Romans 5.1. I have been made the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21, I am am forever perfected and sanctified, being made holy. Hebrews 10.14, I am not now, nor will I ever be condemned by God. Romans 8.1, I am loved and accepted in the presence of God. John 3.16, Ephesians 1.6. As Jesus is, so am I in this world. 1 John 4, 17. Awesome in Jesus' name. Well, we're going to go ahead and pick right up where we left off on last week. We're talking about the unholy mixture. The unholy mixture that we found there in the the, um, book of Acts, the 15th chapter. We're going to go right back there today. And we're going to really bring emphasis on what we call the new promise. The new promise. Now, I'll make mention to this uh, several times, but when you see the word covenant, when you see the word covenant, covenant means agreement. Let me make it even easier to you. 
Covenant means also a pledge or a promise. So you would not be incorrect if you would say the old, instead of saying the old covenant, you could have said the old promise. The New Testament, you could say the new covenant or the new promise. The new promise. So God promises something for you. Amen. And today we're going to be doing just a little bit of work on our blackboard because I want to draw some things out for you so that I want to make it as clear as possible. Hallelujah. All right. So let's go ahead and go back to Acts the 15 chapter. Oh, we're so excited today. Acts 15. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Thank you for giving me the opportunity, Lord, to break open the word of God for your people. Father, I pray that all those who are who uh, have ears to hear, will hear what your spirit is saying even in this hour. Lord, we do uh, beseech your mercy and your grace. And Lord, I declare today that we bring forth the word of God today by grace and in grace. And Lord, I declare that I don't have the strength to do it, but you do. And so, Lord, I lean upon your strength and I rely on you today. I pull on you today, Father. I thank you. I thank you that you're all in all. In Jesus' name. All right. Acts 15. Verses, uh, let's start verse number one. It says, And certain men came down from Judea, taught the brethren, and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. I want you to notice those, what the word. They said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved saved. All right, let's go on down to verse number five. It says here, again, Acts 15, verse five, it says, but there rose up certain of the set of the Pharisees, which believed. They believed. So here's what the people are saying here. Remember, some people had just given their lives to Jesus, just given their lives to him, and they were already trying to put the people under bondage, whether they were well-meaning or not. This is what was happening. He says, and certain, uh, certain of the set of the, of the Pharisees, which believed, they believed in Jesus, which, or rather, they came saying that it was needful or necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. All right. Verse 10 says, now, therefore, why? Of course, we hopping down. Now, therefore, why uh, tempt ye God uh, to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? That's the law. It was a yoke, a yoke, a bondage. Uh, verse 11, he says, But we believe that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. Here's the thing. This is what the believing Pharisees were saying, and this is the same thing that is still prevalent in our culture today. This is what they were saying. They believed in Jesus. They believed in Jesus. So they said if a person wanted to be saved, if a person wanted to go to heaven, if a person wanted to be right with God, they said, yes, receive Jesus, but you must add plus Jesus plus uh, they said circumcision, I'll say it that way, circumcision and law. That to them would equal you going to heaven. All right? They said Jesus plus keeping the law, obeying the law equals you going to heaven. Now, this is still the thinking in today's church. Because many people say, well, you've given your life to Jesus. Now it's up to you to live right. Now it's up to you to do right. Yes, you, yes, you gave your life to Jesus and you were saved. But now you have, to, you have to go to church. Now you have to read your Bible. Now you have to pray. Now you have to stop sinning. Now, reading your Bible, praying, coming to church are all wonderful things. But if we're trying to get right in the sight of God by doing these things, then you have just created an unholy mixture because Jesus alone is the answer. As the apostle said here, faith in Christ alone. We are saved by grace through faith, faith through grace, 
This is how we're saved. We don't need all of this for salvation. You don't need all the other folks for salvation. Now, you should, you should desire to read your Bible. You should desire to come to church because that's what newborn babes do. We should desire to eat. You should desire that physical or have that spiritual food, that spiritual diet that comes from God. You should desire to spend time with your father. You should desire to give to him. All these things come out of relationship. But if we're trying to go to church, trying to do good to be good, then you miss the mark. I hope that makes sense to you. Because what they were saying was that the work that Jesus did on the cross, when Jesus said it's finished, they were saying that that was not enough. You're going to also have to keep these set of laws. So the apostles said, why are you trying to put these people back under bondage? We couldn't, we couldn't keep it. We couldn't do it. We couldn't, and our fathers couldn't do it either. We couldn't live right. We couldn't do right all the time. It was bondage, trying our best uh, to, to be, quote unquote, saved, to be good, to do good all the time. It was bondage trying not to sin, trying, trying not to do this and trying not to do that. That didn't make you want to go to God. It make you want to run from God. Because the more you focused on not sinning, the more you realized that you were a sinner, and the more you realized that you were a sinner, the less you wanted to come into the presence of God. So they were saying again, have Jesus, but you must also focus on your sins. That's what they were saying. Have Jesus, yes, but you must also focus on your sin. That's what the law of Moses was all about. Uh, that's why they'll bring the, the lambs and the sacrifices before um, the priests year after year, uh, making a remembrance of their sin. So they said, yes, Jesus forgave you. Yes, you're saved. But don't forget that you have to also deal with your sin. Well, Jesus has already dealt with your sin. We already saw that in, in uh, Romans, the eighth chapter, I believe verse three and four, how God already condemned sin in the flesh. Remember, Jesus was manifested to take away our sins. Yes. Hallelujah. So it's either he did it or he didn't do it. But what they were saying that you have to be, you have to have Jesus, yes, but you also must focus on religious works. That's what they're saying. In order to be saved, you have to have Jesus and focus on religious works. And that is an unholy mixture. Everybody got that? So I'm going to write that down again. They said you got to have Jesus plus some form of basically religion. All right. Jesus plus religion. They say equals They say equals uh, whether it makes a person good. All right. Makes a person good. But this is all wrong. It's all wrong because we are righteous because God says that you are righteous. God made you righteous. If you continue in this religious system, you'll find that you will be weak and uh, that your relationship with God will be tattered and torn because you'll always constantly, consistently be looking at you. Now, Jesus said um, in, in John, the third chapter, he said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men unto me, lifting him up, lifting what he has done up, always putting Jesus up before the people always telling them what he has done for him, what he has done for them in his death, burial, and resurrection, telling them what he's done for them and with his precious blood. Hallelujah. But if we're always saying, yeah, Jesus will save you, but, but then we, we go back and we are down on ourselves, looking at ourselves, looking about what we haven't done or what we did and all this and that, you're not magnifying Jesus. You're magnifying your own sin. You're magnifying your own flesh. And when you magnify your own sin, you magnify your own flesh, all that's going to do is bring you further, further down in condemnation, doubt, and guilt. And when, and when it's time for you to go to pray and talk to God about any situation, here comes the devil. He's going to use the law to turn it against you and tell you how bad you are and how God's not going to answer your prayer because you've done such a horrible thing over here. But God never based the answering of your prayer based on law. He answered, he based the answering of your prayer based on Jesus and his finished work. I pray that you got that. So again, uh, they said that you got to be circumcised. You have to be circumcised and you have to obey the law in order to be saved. 
But the apostles corrected them and said, no, we are saved through grace, through God's unmerited favor alone, alone. Now, that's a hard thing for people to swallow even today. That's a hard thing. But let's look at this. Now, why were they so insistent about circumcision? And what did it mean? Why were they so insistent about law? And what did it mean? Remember, circumcision was the sign of the Old Covenant. Or we can say the sign of the Old Testament or the sign of the Old Promise. Let's look and see one more time what that, where that came from. So let's look at it in Genesis uh, 17. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Genesis 17, uh, verses 11 through uh, 14. Verses 11 through 14. Thank you for making all things so beautiful. Genesis 17, verses 11 through 14. So this is where we're going to see how God gave Abraham the sign of the covenant. This is out of the New Living Translation, and it says, You must cut off the flesh of your foreskin as a sign of the covenant between me and you. You're, uh, from generation to generation, every male child must be circumcised on the eighth day after his birth. This applies not only to members of your family, but also to the servants born in your household and the foreign, uh, foreign-born servants whom ye, rather whom you have purchased. All must be circumcised. Your bodies, now here's the thing about circumcision, your bodies will bear the mark of my everlasting covenant. Your bodies will bear the mark of God's promise. Verse 14, any male, this is, this is how important it was, any male who fails to be circumcised will be cut off from the covenant family and, and uh, cut off from the, from the covenant family for breaking the covenant. So God told Abraham, everybody has, every male has to be circumcised and that circumcision was to remind them of a promise. That's what circumcision was to do. It was to remind, remind Abraham and all the men of a promise that God would send down a seed through the lineage, and eventually this seed would be Christ. Now, what exactly did God promise Abraham? What was the old promise? Let's look at Genesis 15. Genesis 15, verses 4, 5, and 6. Uh, and it says here, and behold, now let me back up here. Let me tell you what's happening. Abraham has just uh, rescued Lot uh, from his captivity. And remember, Lot and the city of Sodom were captured by, uh, I think, about five kings or so. And Abraham rallies his servants, and they go and they defeat those kings with a great slaughter. God did it, definitely. And then after the slaughter of those armies, the kings, uh, the high priest Melchizedek uh, comes out to meet Abraham, and he gives them bread and wine. Uh, of course, bread and wine is a symbol of the covenant, sign of the covenant, and of the communion that we have today. It speaks about Jesus, bread and wine. So Abraham took communion or received communion with Melchizedek. Uh, he received the bread and wine, and then Abraham paid tithes of all. This, when his paying of tithes was not a requirement. It was in response because he knew that it was the father that gave him the ability uh, to win this war, to get his nephew back. So again, tithing is a response. Of course, it was observed under law, but tithing was before law, and it was always in response to the goodness of God. Hallelujah. So after that experience, Abraham then goes back home and God begins to speak to him. And Abraham says to God, hey, I don't have, I don't have any descendants. I don't have any children. You're going to bless me and I don't have any, any children, any descendants. And the only one I have here, I have a servant, uh, Eleazar, in my house. You know, when I die, all these things will have to be given to him. I don't have anybody. Let's pick it up in verse number four. This is what the Lord is saying here. He says, And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, came unto, came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. Verse 5, And he brought him forth abroad and said, 
Look now toward heaven. This talks about a spiritual seed. Look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, so shall thy seed be. Come on, say it with me. So shall thy seed be. One more time. So shall thy seed be. In verse number six, and he believed in the Lord and he, that is God, counted it to him, Abraham, for righteousness. All right. So God was telling him at this point that he was going to bring forth a spiritual seed out of the generations of Abraham. This is the same seed that the Lord spoke of in Genesis, uh, the third chapter, when the Lord told Adam and Eve that, um, told Satan, uh, well, I will put enmity between thy seed and her seed. And he will bruise your head, talking about Jesus, the seed of God will bruise Satan's head, but you're going to bruise his heel. Uh, seed in Genesis 3 talks about a virgin birth because it is the man that carries the seed, not the woman. So this was a virgin birth that the Lord is talking about. He is bringing the seed uh, down. And that seed floated and eventually came down to Abraham because Abraham believed God. And so the father prophesied to Abraham, I'm going to release a seed, the seed that is Christ into your lineage. And through Christ, all nations of your earth is going to be blessed. Now, further on in Genesis, Genesis 22, God tells Abraham of, uh, of the natural seed as well, because he tells him, this is after uh, Abraham uh, took Isaac up to the mountain for sacrifice. After that, after, after the angel told him, hey, stop, stop, Abraham, don't sacrifice Isaac. Now I know that you uh, will obey me. Now I know that you believe me. After that encounter, then God takes Abraham and says, look up to the sky again. And then he says also, can you count the number of the sands uh, on the seashore? The sand talks about the natural seed his natural descendants, but the, but the stars talk about the spiritual descendants that will come through Christ. Uh, God would bring salvation to the entire Gentile world, not just through uh, the Hebrews or just through the Jews. So he tells them about two things there, but in the very beginning, the seed that he spoke about was concerning Christ, was concerning Christ. Now, let me show you this. Because David prophesied, David prophesied about what the seed would do. Now, the fruit of the seed is righteousness by faith. You've heard people say, uh, Abraham's blessings. You it may have even heard a song or sung a song. Abraham's blessings are mine. Abraham's blessings are mine. Abraham's blessings are mine. You know, Abraham's blessings are mine. I've heard people, and we've sung this song, and we thought this Abraham's blessings meant uh, prosperity, houses, and things of that nature, and, and riches, and health. Well, that's part of it, but the blessing of Abraham is righteousness with God by faith, right relationship with God by faith alone, not by works. This is the true blessing of Abraham, righteousness by faith alone. Remember, God gave him the seed because he believed him. So when you talk about the blessing of Abraham, you're speaking of righteousness with God by faith alone. And this is what the Father is bringing in, into the earth. And actually, this is what has already been. Let me show you a little diagram here. Let, let, me, let me diagram something here so that, you can, uh, so that you can see this and understand this. We're going to see this today. All right, so if this is a timeline here. This is the timeline here. All right, this is from the beginning of time to end of time. And uh, here's a small segment here in time. You can barely see that segment. This segment here is a segment of law. Law, God brought in law. Prior, before law, there was grace. And after law, there is grace. Why do we say that? Because Adam and Eve lived under grace. They lived under grace. Remember, God set two trees in the garden for them, two trees in the garden. 
He told them, well, I mean, a number of trees, but two trees specifically. One was the tree of knowledge of good, a good, a good and evil, and the other was the tree of life. Before they partook of the knowledge of the tree of, of good and evil, uh, they lived under grace. They had favor with God. They were surrounded by God's glory. Adam and Eve fellowship with God, and Adam walked with God in the cool of the day. Perfect communion, perfect fellowship, perfect fellowship. It wasn't until they partook of the knowledge of good and evil, until they partook of law, that they decided, well, Father, they said to themselves, I'm sure, God, I no longer want to receive your goodness based on your grace. Now I want to be blessed based on my works. So they thought, I can be like God by doing this. I will take goodness um, I would take goodness myself. I will, I will understand what is good to do and what is bad to do. And when I do good, that means that I can deserve goodness. So they forsook what God was doing, giving them grace, unmerited favor, his blessings based on relationship alone, based on his goodness alone. They forsook that and they went under law by eating of the tree of goodness tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Someone asked the question, well, why did God uh, create the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Why, why did he do that in the first place if he knew it was so bad? Well, listen, it's a very simple way of answering that. If I gave you a $200 million mansion filled with every good thing that you could ever dream of or imagine, but if I locked every door and every window and you could not get out, that mansion has become a prison. If you cannot leave when you want to leave, if you have no choice in the matter, you're a prisoner. So God gave them two ways out, two doors. If you eat of the tree of life, you're going to live with me forever in grace, and I'll forever show you my goodness. But if you eat of the tree of knowledge, good and the evil, door number two, you're going to be going your own way, and you'll be disconnected from my grace. Disconnected from my grace and my favor, and you will go the rest of your life trying to earn goodness, something that I freely gave you in the first place. Well, they chose to leave, and they uh, chose the wrong door. All right, so, but prior to, prior to the law, there was grace. There was grace. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, grace, Abraham was right in the sight of God based on his faith in him. God said, I count you, I declare you to be righteous because you believe in what I said. Then the law was added. And we'll find the law was added because of the people's disobedience, because of the transgression. Jesus comes back in after the law. He fulfills the law and gives grace. The Bible declares that grace, or rather the law came by Moses but grace, rather, the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. The law was given by Moses. What, how did Moses get the law to give to the people? Well, Moses was on Mount, uh, Mount Sinai, and God wrote on stone tablets with his own finger. So God gave the law to Moses, Moses his servant, and Moses then gave the law to the people of God. All right, the law, under law, they were servants. Under law, they were in a form of bondage. Moses was a servant, and he gave it to other servants. Law was to serve. Given, God gave it to Moses, and Moses gave it to the people. That was how law worked. It made you a servant. You had to do this, and you had to do that. However, grace, the Bible says grace, came by Jesus Christ, the law given by Moses, impersonal. God didn't speak to the people himself. He sent his messenger. He sent his servant, Moses. Moses talked to them. Moses, you give this to them. But grace, Jesus comes. Grace is a person, Jesus Christ. Grace came by Jesus Christ. God comes himself to restore the timeline, so to speak, of grace where you would be right in the sight of God, not based on what you've done, but based on what he's done. 
Not based on your goodness, but based on his goodness. You got me. So let's go back to this and look at this one more time. Now, so circumcision, again, was a sign. Circumcision was a sign of the covenant. It was a sign of God's promise. God was telling Abraham simply, I'm going to bring in the seed, and this seed is Christ. I'm going to bring in Christ, and Christ would restore grace. Christ would restore right fellowship with God based on his goodness, not yours. We're going to see this further on down. Now, David prophesied about this. You'll find several prophets in the Old Testament uh, and the law actually prophesied or foretold of God sending his seed into the earth. David prophesied, and we'll see this in Psalm 32. Psalm 32, we'll see this prophecy of what the seed would accomplish. David was talking about us today who live not under law, but under grace. Uh, truth be told, you and I were never under law to begin with. Because, first of all, you're not Jewish. First of all, you were never Hebrew. You were, already, you were always Gentiles. You were never meant to be under law or observe law. You were always meant to be under grace. But flesh always wants to earn good things, always wants to earn being in a position to, to make, to be in a position to um, make God indebted to you. We say things like, Lord, I know you're going to hear me. I know you're going to hear me because I have given my tithe. I know you're going to hear me because I've done right. I, I try to treat everybody right. So I know you're going to bless me because I have done this, that, and the other. We try to make God indebted to us. The Lord said, no, this, that's not how it's going to happen here. We're not under the system of law where you work to earn things. God said, we're under grace. I've, I've given my son to put you back in right favor with me based on what I have done for you. And we're going to see this as it goes further on down. So if you find yourself trying to bargain with God uh, to get him to bless you or do something for you based on what you've done, you're putting yourself back under the system of law. But if you're praying and you stand before the Father based on what Jesus has done, well, then you're a candidate to receive all that God has for you because of the finished work of Jesus. Hallelujah. Listen to this. Listen to the life that uh, the Holy Spirit was prophesying through David here in Psalm 32. It says this in verse number one. It says, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity and whose spirit and rather and in whose spirit there is no guile i want to break that down to you even further i'm going to bring out the message bible i want you to really to, really to understand this all right look at message bible here same uh, verses it says count yourself lucky how happy you must be that's what blessed is happy fortunate Count yourself lucky. Oh, how happy you must be. You get a fresh start. Your slates wiped clean. That is, God has forgiven all of your sin. How happy you must be knowing that God has forgiven all of your sin. How happy you must be. How happy you must be. Oh, my goodness. Look at verse number two. It says, count yourself lucky. God holds nothing against you, and you're holding nothing back from him. That's complete relationship. Oh, how happy you must be. So David, being under law and having to work to earn, having to, uh, having to obey this and do this sacrifice, having to keep ceremonial laws and, and having to obey this and obey that and, and hoping that he's done enough to earn the favor of God. He's doing all these sacrifices and hoping he's done enough to earn the favor of God. He looks forward and say, oh, how happy they must be knowing that all of their sins have been forgiven. 
Oh, how happy they must be. The slate is wiped clean. Oh, how happy they must be that God holds nothing back from them. Oh, how happy they must be. Then here we are here under the age of grace, restored through Jesus Christ, putting ourselves right back under the bondage of law, trying to earn the favor of God. David would say, how foolish you must be. Let's look a little bit further. Now, the Spirit of God gives us greater insight about the seed and what God gave, what the promise, this new promise or new covenant that God gave to Abraham in uh, Galatians, the third chapter. Let's look, let's look at this. So think about what we just read in Genesis with Abraham and the sign of the covenant. Let's look here again at Galatians, the third chapter, verse 15 through 19. Now, grace, of course, forgiveness does not mean you have a quote-unquote license to sin. That's foolish. You say, God has forgiven me so I can do whatever I want to do. Well, that's foolish. That's foolish because inside of every sin, God's not punishing you, but inside of every sin, it has its own penalty. Again, if you go around lying, eventually, you're not going to have any friends. You're not going to be trustworthy. If you married and commit adultery, you're not going to have a marriage. If you go around stealing and killing, you're going to probably end up dead or at least in prison. So inside of every sin has its own penalty. The wages of sin is death. God's not punishing you. If you're a born-again believer, he's not punishing you, but you're actually opening the door for the devil to come in your own home. Hallelujah. But we must see ourselves in Christ Jesus. The more you see yourself in him, the more you realize what he has done for you, the less and less sin will have power over you. The Bible says clearly that, um, that sin shall not have dominion over you, shall not have control over you because you are not under law, but under grace. We'll look at that further on down. So Galatians, the third chapter, verse uh, 15 through 19 says this, Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant. Yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth, that is, uh, to do away with or addeth unto. So he's giving them a natural example. He tells them about a natural covenant. He says, once it is put in place, once it is ratified, once it has begun, nobody can uh, put it away or disannul it or yeah, put it away or, or add to it. It's a signed, sealed contract. It's done. Now he tells us about the covenant that God gives us. He's given us that example, first of all. Now it says in verse number 16, now Abraham and his seed were the, let me back up. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He, remember we said covenant also meant the word promise. It says, he said not and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. So again, Galatians brings it, breaks it down to us. The seed that Abraham was promised was Christ coming forth. That was that spiritual seed. Christ was coming forth. Righteousness with God through faith alone, through grace, through God's goodness. Verse 17, and this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before God... In Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul. In other words, it can't cancel it. You can't render it void, void, void or cancel it. That it should make uh, the promise of none effect. What is that saying here? God said here, look, I gave you a promise here before. I gave you a promise here in Abraham, right here. He promised Abraham. And then the law came, all right? This is how it's going. Then the law came. He said the law could not do away with that promise, the promise of grace. The law couldn't, it couldn't disannul it. It couldn't put it away. It couldn't cancel it. Grace was happening. <laughs> and, it's, and it happened again through, through Christ Jesus. The seed passed from Abraham, and it was fulfilled here. It was fulfilled here in Christ. All right? Look at verse number 18. For if the inheritance be, and the inheritance he is talking about is righteousness with God. If the inheritance 
be of the law or if right relationship with God, being right with God, were the result of you doing good. It says again, if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more a promise, but, a, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Wherefore, then serveth the law. Why did God bring in the law? It was, it was added because of transgressions or sins. Till, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. It was, it was ordained to angels in the hand of a mediator. Now, one, did, you, did you hear that word, till, T-I-L? The law was given till the seed would come. Who is the seed? The seed is Christ. Has Christ come? Yes. Then that means that we're no longer under law. The law was given till the seed come. The mark of circumcision that God gave to Abraham, he said, keep this in your flesh and your generations till the seed comes. Well, Jesus is the seed, that, that, so did Jesus come? Yes. So there's no more need for you to be circumcised to be right with God. There's no more need for you to, be, uh, to, for you to obey the law in order to be right with God because the seed, Jesus, is come. I hope that makes sense to you. Hope that makes sense to you. Now, God reconciled us to himself. Now, I want you to see this, and, and we're, we're almost done today. I, I don't want to overload you, but again, remember in Acts 15, they were those believing Pharisees kept insisting that these new converts, that these new believers. Now, Jesus had already died. He had already been resurrected, and he's Lord. So they're living under grace. But the Pharisees insisted that they got to uh, be circumcised and they got to obey the law. They insisted that they go back in because it was tradition for them. Tradition. But all of those traditions were till Jesus would come here. Now that Jesus has come, there's no need for this because now we're living even as Adam and Eve did in the very beginning, under grace, under his righteousness, under his righteousness alone. That makes sense? Now, I want you to see what the Lord accomplished for you with his death, burial, and resurrection. And I'll ask the question over and over again, why in the world are you keeping yourself under law? Why in the world would you want to do that? Look at Romans, the third chapter. I'm going to do a little bit of reading here. Romans, the third chapter, verse 21 through 28. Thank you, Father, for your magnificent grace, even at this very moment. Thank you, Lord, that your saints are praying, they're interceding. Thank you, Lord God, for giving us this grace to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, to bring an understanding to your people that they live not under law, but under grace. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name that as your people uh, realize that there's therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, that is, who walk not after the law, but walk after the Spirit, that is, walk after grace. There is no condemnation to those who are living under grace and not living under law. So, Father, I celebrate you that your people are receiving your word today. In Romans, the third chapter, verse 21 through 28, it says, But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. As was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Now, remember how Abraham was considered righteous by God? Because he believed. Because he believed. That was grace. They were righteous. Abraham was righteous with God because he believed in what God said. Under law, that small segment, that small segment they believed that they would be righteous if they kept all the law, but they understood that they could not keep all the law, so they kept looking for the seed to come to deliver them from the bondage of the law. But under the system of law, if they did right, they got right. If they disobeyed God, they got a curse. If they did good, they got good. If they did bad, they got bad. You see that all throughout the Old Testament because it was law. 
It was law. But the system of grace existed well before law, and it existed, and it still exists after law. All right, now, so it says here, we are reckoned, uh, verse 22, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Christ, in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Jesus. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People, let me read that again. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight, or he declares sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus, not when they do good things. It's good to do good things, and when Christ comes inside of you, when you give the Lord your heart, your life, you will do good things. But you're not doing good things to earn righteousness in the sight of God. God already says righteous when you believe in Jesus. So from that moment forth, we do good because we are good. We do right because we are right. Hallelujah. Not to do good and do right to be right. I hope you understand that. Verse 27 says, um, can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. How clear is it? How clear is it? Now, again, why is all this important? Because as you are living currently in the last days and you see the enemy doing so many horrible things in the world today, and you're going to need to know that God has answered your prayers. You're going to need to know that he is with you. You're going to need to know that when things get bad, that you can depend on your Savior. You're going to need to know that when you bow your head, when you're interceding for your family, either if there's some sort of sickness or if there's some sort of financial need or if there's some sort of a, some sort of trouble happening, you're going to need to know that Father God hears you based not on what you have done, but based on the finished work of Jesus. Remember, you are not under law. You were never under law. You were never called to live a life under law. Now understand something. Even the Ten Commandments are laws. Laws. God has delivered you from that. You say, well, wait, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. You mean I'm, uh, I can go around killing and it's okay, shooting and all that stuff and not obeying my parents, I'm not under law anymore. Again, I told you, every time you commit a sin, it has its own penalty. But if you're trying, and that penalty will bring destruction. If you want to commit sin, you're going you're gonna to find destruction there. That's, that's all there is to it. But if you're trying to obey the Ten Commandments in order to be made right with God, you place, your sis, you place yourself right back under the law. And you will say, God, I know you hear me because I've done this. Or God, I know you won't hear me because I haven't done this. Why in the world would you want to do that when the Lord already says, I freely bless you, I freely give to you by simply you believing in what Jesus has done for you and meditating on the finished work of Christ Jesus? Does that make sense to you? Now, let's, let me show you some things, and we're going to begin to close out here. So again, the Lord gives us this new promise, this new covenant. I want you to see what's available for you under the new promise, the new covenant. Back again to Hebrews 8. Hebrews 8, uh, verse uh, 10 through 12. It says, 
For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them in their hearts. And I will be to them a God, and they will, shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. God said, I won't remember your sins anymore. Under grace, I will not remember your sins anymore. Under grace, God said, I will not remember your sins. Under grace, God said, I will not remember your sins. Under grace, God said, I will not remember your sins. However, under law, there is a remembrance of sin. Listen to this in the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 5, verses 9 and 10. And this is where a lot of people, a lot of people still live. A lot of people that have received Jesus as Lord and Savior, they say they've received the grace of God, but they still expect God to treat them as though they were under law. Listen to this. This is what a lot of, maybe even some of you here today, expect God to, expect God to do to you. Listen at uh, Deuteronomy 5, verses, rather, yeah, Deuteronomy uh, 5, verses 9 and 10, it says, Thou shalt not bow down thyself unto them, nor serve them. The Lord's talking about idols. He says, For I, the Lord, am a jealous God. What does, he, what does he say here? Visiting the iniquity of the fathers, visiting the sins, or punishing your sins, the sins of the fathers, upon, upon the children of the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. You think that your life is, is under a curse because of what you've done or what so-and-so has done. You did something, and now because you did it, uh, something happened to your children, and you think it's your fault. God is punishing you. God is punishing them because of what you did. That is what happened, yes, if you were under the old covenant. If Christ had not come, if the seed did not appear, then yes, that is definitely the case. Look at verse number 10. And showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. So again... Under the under grace of God, Lord said, I will not rem remember your sins. Under the Old Testament, yes, he remembered your sins, and he will punish you and your family line with you. But we're not under that. The seed has come. Jesus has come. Jesus came not to uh, do away with the law or destroy the law, but to fulfill it. He fulfilled the requirements of the law so that we enter into, uh, enter into God's blessings righteously. Hallelujah. Glory to the Lamb of God. Now, let me show you a few more things, then we're going to close out for my third closing. Praise the Lord. Again, in the Old Testament, you had to work to earn your righteousness, work to earn your favor. But in the New Testament, you are become the righteousness of God. You are the made, made the righteousness of God. Let's, let's go look at that again. 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God through him. Now, the redemptive work of Christ was so complete. I think uh, maybe we'll stop. I'm, I'm trying to find a good landing field right now. The redemptive work of Christ was so complete. Was so complete in you. And this is one thing that you're going to have to confess over and over and over and over and over again. What Jesus did on that cross was so complete in you that we can find these words here. I want you to see this. In 1 John, the fourth chapter, 1 John 4, verse 17 says, Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. As Jesus is right now, He's seated at the right hand of the Father. As Jesus is, so are we in this world. What does that mean? To the amount and degree that Jesus is accepted, you are also accepted in that same amount to that same degree. In the same amount and degree that Jesus is loved, you are also loved in that same amount and that same degree. 
in the same amount and degree that Jesus is welcome in the presence of the Father, you're also welcomed in the presence of the Father in that same amount, in that same degree. As Jesus is perfectly accepted and perfectly loved, you are also perfectly accepted and perfectly loved. Now, the human mind don't, does not want to receive that. Why? Because we instantly say, but Lord, I haven't done this. But Lord, I've done that. So there's already resistance. And what's that resistance? It's the law being brought back up into your face because you still think you have to qualify. You're still, still allowing the law to come in. But Lord, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't. It's not about what you have done. It's about what Jesus has done. I want to get that to you. My God, I pray you're really getting that. Because as you see yourself the way he sees you, it will free you. It will free your heart. It will free your life. If you can believe that. If you can believe that. Yeah, I'm going to show you one more. Let's go to Colossians 1, verse 19, 20, 21, 22. It says, and we'll pick up here next time. And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things to himself. Say reconcile. reconcile. Say reconcile. reconcile. Say I have been reconciled. reconciled. All right. It says, and having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. Say reconciled. Say, I have been reconciled. Listen, we have been reconciled in the body of his flesh through death. Why? To present you holy and unblameable as unblameable and unblameable means uh, without blemish as a sacrifice without spot or blemish he presented us holy and unblameable and unreprovable that is nothing can be held in account against you now what does that mean then we're gonna we're gonna have to keep keep it here for next week the work of Jesus was so complete. Let me tell you what has happened. Now, whether you believe it or not, it is so. I can tell you today, I can tell you the sun is shining outside right now. For us here, I'm not sure when you're watching. But I can tell you the sun is shining right now. You say, I don't believe it. But that doesn't mean that it's not shining outside. I can tell you that Jesus is coming soon. You say, I don't believe it. That has no bearing. He's coming back for his church. This is where you stand in God's presence. This is how he sees you. God sees you as holy. God sees you as unblameable. Unblameable. Of course, again, that talks about a sacrifice. Remember when they bring their sacrifices in? The sacrifice had to be inspected by the priest to see if there was any spot or wrinkle in it. So God examines you. He examined everybody that was in Christ, and he said, God said, you are holy. God says, there's nothing about you that is off. There is no spot, and there's no wrinkle in you. That's who we are in Christ. It says, you, you are unblameable. You stand in him, stand in Christ, unblameable. And this type of transformation can never be taken off. It can never be removed. It is permanent. Once the blood has been sprinkled upon your life, if you're born again, I mean, if, you, if you're born again, my God, once the blood of Christ has been sprinkled upon your life, you are forever holy. You are forever without 
you are forever unblameable. In other words, God said he looks you over. The eyes of God look you over. Not eyes of men, not your own eyes, not the eyes of the devil. God himself, his eyes have seen you and it said unblameable. There is nothing. I can find no fault in you. That's what the father says, that he sees no fault in you, that you are unreproachable. In other words, there's nothing about you that he can bring up an account of something, no flaw, not one single flaw is wrong with you. So when the father looks at you, he sees Christ. He sees utter perfection. And again, as Jesus is, so are we in this world. We have to agree with that utter perfection, holy, righteous, blameless in the sight of God. Now, the only one that doesn't agree with that is you. If you're in Christ, the devil already knows it. And he's doing his best to try to bring shame, doubt, and condemnation on you so that you won't look to what Jesus has done, so that you'll continue to look at what you've done. And the moment you look to what you've done, you'll look away from what Jesus has done, and you'll fall right back into shame, guilt, and condemnation. And then when it's time for you to pray, when it's time for you to intercede, when it's time for you to get a blessing or a miracle from God, when your back's up against the wall, you think, oh, I haven't done this and I don't deserve this. I haven't done enough. I haven't done enough. And you're placing yourself back under law, the place where you are never meant to be in the first place. But instead of you being sin conscious, we need to be Christ conscious, grace conscious, and focus on what Jesus has done for us. Because the fact of the matter is, you're holy, blameless. God has looked you over and said there's nothing wrong because the work that Jesus did on the cross for you was so complete. Was so complete that the father says, I will remember your sins no more. What sins? They've been completely taken away. And now what do we do? We have to continue to confess what Jesus said. If you believe right, then your whole life will follow that line. But if you believe that you're a poor old wretched sinner, then your life will follow that line. The more you confess what Jesus did in your life, the more you meditate on Christ, taking your, taking your mind off of you, finally off of you. Our society is so narcissistic. We can't help but continue to think about ourselves, what I've done, what I've done, what I've done, what I've done. And even when you hear a message like this, some people would scandalize and say, that, that's wrong, that's wrong, because you still want to qualify for the blessings of God. But God said, I've not called you to that system. Even that system of law was till Christ would come. Christ has fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law so that we may enter into the grace of God, freely receiving of our Father, freely receiving, freely receiving of his presence. If you're under the law, then you're always trying to think, oh, have I prayed enough? Oh, does God love me? Oh, does God love me? Uh, does, does he love me? Does he love me? I don't know. If I ask you, you going to heaven, you say, oh, I hope so. I hope so. I, I hope so. I hope so. Why are you saying that? Because you keep looking at you. But when I stand there before the Father, I'm not even looking at me. I'm looking at Jesus. Am I going to heaven? Absolutely, I'm going to heaven. Glory to God. I know it. Why? Because of what Jesus has done. I have faith in what he said. I have faith in what he's done. So if you find yourself rolling down that hill again, trying to qualify, oh, I messed up. God don't like me. No, no, no. I'm telling you, you mess up. And say, thank you, Father, that I'm still the righteousness of God. I thank you, Lord, that I'm righteous. I thank you, Lord, that I'm holy. Yes, Lord, I got this in my hand. Yes, I'm doing this. Father, I don't want to do it. I, I confess that I can't stop this, but you can. So until then, Father, I declare who I really am. I am holy. I'm blameless in your sight. As Jesus is, so am I in this world. As Jesus is accepted, so am I accepted. As Jesus is loved, so am I loved. As Jesus is favored, so am I favored. As Jesus is at your right hand, I'm in him. I'm at your right hand. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that I'm celebrated, not tolerated. 
Thank you, Lord. I'm celebrating your presence. I'm celebrating. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. That is what I did, but that is not who I am. That sin is what I did, but that is not who I am. Thank you, Lord, that you saved me from this. Thank you, Lord, that you've delivered me from the power of the from the power of sin. Thank you, Lord, that sin will not have dominion over me because I'm not under the law, but I'm under grace. Thank you, Lord, for delivering me and for making me whole. The more you focus on your sin, the more you don't want to sin. But the more you focus on Christ, the more you focus on what Jesus has done, the more your life changes in the transformation. The day-to-day transformation begins to focus. Don't spend your days and your hour focusing on you. You've already seen you. Haven't you seen enough of you yet? Focus on him. Again, Jesus said, if I be lifted up from the earth, if what I did be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. If you lift up Jesus in your own life, magnifying what he's done, he'll draw all people to you. Hallelujah. But if you lift up you, oh, I need help. Oh, I did this and oh, I did that. People will be pushed from you. Why would you want to live under law? Father, I thank you in Jesus' name for the word that you've given us today. Lord, I pray that your people will receive the rich revelation of your word by your spirit. Lord, I declare again, I can't, but you can. And Holy Spirit, I pray by faith right now that your people have received your word and that they will choose to live in in the spirit, that they will choose to live under grace, that they will choose to abide by what you said and abide by what you've done. And Father, I pray for signs and wonders and miracles uh, to be accomplished after the ministry of your word. Father, I pray that even throughout during the week that you, your spirit would continue to speak to them, continue to whisper to them in their ear who they are and bring them up to where they need to be. Lord, so we release this word to you. Use it however you like, Father, for your glory. And Lord, we pray that you continue to help us to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ, continue to help lift Jesus up higher because you're coming again really soon for your church. Bless your people, Father. I pray in Jesus' name. Bless your online community, Father. Those that are watching us right now from all around the world, Father, give them the revelation of who you really are. In Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next time. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, we pray that you were blessed and encouraged by today's message. Don't forget, you can connect with us at our website at kingdomrock.org. It's there that you can hear today's message as well as the entire series. So check it out today. Until next time, remember that Jesus loves you and so do we. Choose him as your Lord today. Only he can make a way. We'll see you on the next time.